This is the second of four messages in Dr. Joel Hunter's series, Trouble in the Best Marriages. Denial and Disguise is Dr. Hunter's second subject, and Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 8 will be Dr. Hunter's scripture text. And it reads as follows. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. She gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves loin coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And I find myself smiling because it's one thing to talk about the problem, it's another thing to have the answer even as you talk about it. We have a great hope this morning. The aspects of our relationships that hold within them the power for the destruction of those relationships are as old as mankind. They go way back to the first family. As a matter of fact, that's where we see them for the first time. We are going to continue with our docudrama this morning, Days of Our Lives, or for Will's sake, Skit. He likes to call it Skit. I'm kidding. He hates that word. Um, but we are... We're continuing with, uh, with showing you in the relationship of Eric and Jessica those things that make a relationship go awry. And hopefully, vicariously, you see in their marriage aspects of your own or in their relationship aspects of your own with other people so that uh, we can all work on these things together. This morning's topic is things hidden, Uh, those things we hide from each other, and ultimately those ways in which we hide ourselves from each other. Let us turn now to see this in the days of our lives. Like smog clouding the horizon, like sand through the egg timer, like that annoying thing flashing 12 o'clock on your VCR. So flash the days of our lives. Jessica had to help him tow home. Since then, Bob has moved in to help pay the rent. The mysterious Susan has called every day at the same time, but has never been able to finish her conversation on the phone. Today we join Eric and Jessica, sharing a cup of Swiss mocha and remembering Jean-Luc. Remember that episode when Captain Picard and Jordy ganged up on number one? <laughs> You know, honey, um, I haven't noticed any car bills coming in yet. Have uh, you seen them? What? Oh, I'm taking care of those. You are? It's nothing you need to worry about, dear. Well, I know that, dear. I was just wondering... Jessica, I told you I'm taking care of those bills. 
Okay, honey. Look, I'm really, really tired. Did you have a rough day at work? Did I have a rough day at work? Oh, Jessica, I can't tell you how exhausted I am dealing with people's stupidities. I mean, these people wouldn't have a clue if somebody FedEx it to them. They go and they do things without telling me about it. I have to find out about it later. I hate it when people make decisions and don't tell me about it. I just want to sit on my couch, watch television, and try to relax. Uh, honey, um, I think there's something that we should talk about. Oh, Jessica, I'm really, really, really tired. Unless it's about our vacation. Is that what you want to talk about? Okay, yeah. Sure, I'd love to talk about our vacation, honey. The trip to Santa Fe and the Trans Am. Oh, this is going to be so great. We'll zoom on over to Wyoming and then ride like the wind to Arizona. And then we can go camping. Great. <sighs> honey, camping, that would be great. Oh, this is so nice. We get along so well and we communicate so well. We, we sure do, honey. Honey. Hey. <laughs> Bob, I... I didn't hear you come in. <laughs> Good one. Um, honey, uh, this is what I wanted to talk to you about. What, that, that Bob is coming over for a visit? Visit, yeah. Good one. Well, now, now, that, that's okay. How long is Bob staying? Till November. What? Well, he, he wants to be back with his family at Christmas. Hey, American Gladiators! Jessica, you asked Bob to move in with us? Uh-huh. What for? Well, to help us pay the rent. <laughs> we never had any problems paying the rent before. Well, not before, but now that we have to make this car payment, we're just not making it. Jessica, how many times do I have to tell you I'm taking care of those bills? Look, Nitro! Honey, I know you said you were taking care of it, but the math, it's just not adding up. It... Uh-oh. What? What is it? It's 2 o'clock. Time for that mysterious Susan woman to call and get disconnected. But my kidneys. Yeah, I'll get it. Thank you. <laughs> telegram from Susan. Oh. <gasps> Well, hello, I'm Susan, and I'm looking for. Uh, well, hello, I'm Susan, and I'm looking for. I forgot! What? Jessica, did you cut your hair? Yes, Eric. Yes? Repo man. What? Repo man. What? Eric? Eric? Eric. Eric Twykinney's. How you doing? It's me, Chad. Chad Twykinney's. Remember? Maybe get the door that knock door. You know, I quit my job out there at Denny's. And check it out. I'm going to be your repo man. Small world, eh, Eric? Eric. Eric, what's going on? Eric, Bob. Bob. Eric. Bob. Chad. Oh, Eric. I, I thought I was taking care of the bills. Oh, Eric. Whoops. Will Jessica and Eric repossess their possessed possessions? Will Bob's wife and kids 
notice that he doesn't live at home anymore. Will they mind? Why is Susan trying to contact them? Will her tongue recover from the sprain she gave it learning Taiwanese? Don't worry, these are almost the next to the last penultimate possible questions to the days of our lives. Well, we're all aware that conversations can have consequences and that behaviors can have consequences. And there's even a new book out uh, called Ideas Have Consequences. What we are not so reminded of is that secrets have consequences. Those things not said have consequences. Those things hidden have consequences. If you will turn to the third chapter of Genesis, we will show you the first time people began to hide things, mainly themselves. Starting with verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Now, I want you to remember those two words, with her, because last week we talked about them being equally responsible in the fall out of those two words. And we also this week want to remember that this was the last time that they were together in their innocence uh, because their relationship was changed forever after this. The indication is in verse 7. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. By the way, parenthetically, that that Hebrew word for cool is uh, the same word, Hebrew word for breeze, ruach, and it also means God's breath. In other words, God's breath was rustling through the leaves of the trees. And they identified that sound with God's presence, his being there. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called the man and said to him, Where are you? I want to talk about two things this morning. I want to talk about the character of Satan and the grace of God. It's always good to talk about those two together. First of all, I want to dwell a little bit on the character of Satan. And let me just refer you to your first point. I'm going to mix up this a little bit. I'm not going to talk about the two sub-points that I have in your sermon outline. I'm going to take a little bit different angle because of a conversation I got into last night with a lady that lets me know Satan is still alive and well and operating flat out. Um. It's important to realize in temptation that temptation is not just an, ob, uh, an objective situation um, that, that gives us a choice. That Satan is still the one who draws. Satan is still the one who manipulates. Satan is still personally involved in our lives, in those areas, those strongholds of our lives 
that continue to be our temptations. Herman Ritterboss is a theologian, and he wrote this. Temptation is not just the situation by which we can fall into sin. Temptation always involves the activity, the personal activity of the evil one. He says, for example, in Matthew 6, when he talks about the Lord's Prayer, when the Lord's talking about the prayer, that the more accurate uh, translation is always, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. No, it's always from the evil one, because Satan is always involved in those areas. And he's doing what he's always done. It's the old bait and switch. It's the old promise of fulfillment, only to find disappointment. It's the promise of excitement, only to find boredom. It's the promise to um, make progress, only to slip back into the same old thing. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve experienced. That's exactly what we experience now. Satan always turns the table and makes things the opposite of what they seem. Now, last night I got in a conversation with a lady. And this is just one example of how, how this happens. And, and I've heard this conversation before here, but I've not addressed it, so I, I, just, I thought I would. She said, you know, I really have a tough time with communion at this church. And I said, tell me about it. She said, it really bothers me. Now, you've got to know this lady because she's got a heart of gold. She's had, she, has the, she has a spiritual gift of mercy and, uh, and evangelism. And so what I'm about to tell you fits perfectly with her gift mix you know, and her sensitivities. She says, it always bothers me that, you know, you get up and you say, this is for Christians, you know. And, and, and we always do. Usually when we have communion, we, we, we uh, tell you the passage, 1 Corinthians 11, 27, where it talks about not taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner and so on and so forth. And, and those who are believers in Jesus Christ are invited to the table and so on and so forth. And she said, you know... That seems so exclusive. It, it makes people feel like they're not good enough to take communion. And that bothers me that we would give the impression that some people are good enough to take communion and other people aren't. And I thought to myself, there he is again. Because he has just communicated exactly the opposite of what the situation really is. The people who are invited to take communion are the ones who aren't good enough. We're the ones who have admitted we're not good enough. That we are sinful creatures and we are not worthy. You know, think of the traditional uh, prayer of uh, access that says, We do not presume to come to this thy table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness. But in thy manifold and great mercies, we are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table. The people who are invited to take partake of the Lord's Supper are the unworthy ones. We're the ones that are not good enough. The difference is we've admitted it. You know, if you come to this church looking for good people, you've come to the wrong places. We're a company of boogerheads here. <laughs> we are. We are. We're a mess. And we admit it. We freely admit it. We say, without God, we've got no chance in this world. And so we're the ones that Jesus came for. The people who can admit that and will admit that are exactly who Jesus came for. Jesus said it himself. He said, I didn't come to call the righteous. Came for the sinners. 
You know, those who aren't sick don't have any need of a physician. But those who are sick do. So if you're good enough to take communion, you don't need to. But if you're not good enough, that's exactly who is invited. Do you understand how Satan just does the bait and switch? He plays upon people's insecurities and makes it seem like the Christians are the good ones. No, no, we're admitted the ones in need. We're not trying to hide that anymore. We have, by virtue of becoming Christians, confessed that we deserve nothing in ourselves. So, But Satan is still working, and he works in order to divide us like that. And he works in order to get us to hide those feelings so that we can't reconcile to one another. It's exactly what happened after Adam and Eve fell. The first act was to hide themselves, to do the cover-up thing. Not to go to God and say, God, we really blew this one. We're sorry. But it was to stay divided from each other. And he does the same thing in the world today by trying to get us to just retreat into our own private worlds. I read a a story some time ago about two farmers with adjoining land. And they got into a tiff with one another one day. And instead of trying to reconcile with one another, they decided that they would just ignore one another. As a matter of fact, they went to the backs of their property, the line that adjoined their property, and they both built these long fences that said, this is my property and that's your property. Well, there was about a four-foot path between these fences. And over the years, the weeds grew up and the brambles grew up and the, and the trees grew up so that they could hardly even see each other. And that suited them just fine. The problem was that the villagers named that path, and they named it very appropriately. They named it the Devil's Lane because the only one that ever walked there was the devil. He is still building between us and in our own lives places of hiddenness, places of privateness that we will not share with one another so that when we do build up relationships, many many times the norm, or it seems like the norm, is to build up artificial relationships and pretend that, that they were real. You know, when I was uh, growing up, when I was in middle school and early high school, some of you won't remember this, but there was a great science fiction show on TV called The Twilight Zone. Oh, it was a great show. You know, know, to to a boy, these science fiction things were great. And I can remember one episode that was entitled The Lonely. And, you know, the show started the same way every week. Rod Serling would come in with his cigarette and he'd go, Picture a dungeon. Many years into the future, the dungeon is made up of mountains and deserts. And it goes on and introduces the, the scene, see? And he says, some hundred or two hundred years in the future, we don't build prisons anymore. What we do is we exile the uh, violent to live alone on planets. And that's exactly what has happened to this protagonist named Corey. He has been banished, exiled, to live all alone on his own planet. Day after day, he faces the excruciating loneliness and longs for the day when someday he will be pardoned. Someday he could get back to the world. And even though it's a life sentence, he hopes and prays for that day. The only human contact he has is once a year when they bring the supplies for the year. Well, the captain of the supply ship takes pity on this poor man. 
And so for company, he delivers to him a robot. The robot looks and sounds exactly like a woman. Her name is Alicia. At first, Corey is absolutely um, cruel to her because he feels this robot is mocking his loneliness. And one day he is so cruel, she begins to cry. And he's taken back. And she says, just because I'm a robot, it doesn't mean I don't have feelings. It doesn't mean I can't be hurt. It doesn't mean I can't love. Well, the story progresses. And he falls in love with her. Well, one day, you, you can tell the end of this, one day the captain comes and says, good news, you've got your pardon. And he's jumping all over the place. He said, this is great. This is what I've prayed for for years and so on and so forth. Alicia and I will be right with you. And the captain says, you can only take 15 pounds a year. And he says, no problem. I'll stuff all my stuff in a duffel bag and Alicia and I will be right out there. He says, that's gear, looking at Alicia. Corey says, no. She's a woman. She's my friend. The captain says, she's a robot. I brought her to you. No, she's a woman. I love her. She's my friend. She's got to go. And the captain pulls out his gun and shoots her in the face. Now, this is the cool part for a teenage boy. <laughs> because the ending scene is she's laying on the ground, all these wires coming out, and, and you know, and a tape going, Corey. You know, running down. Ooh, it's really cool. Well, the cooler part for a man is the symbolism of that thing. That he had gotten so used to a relationship that was mechanical and artificial that he treated it as normal. I'm telling you, we do the same thing. We live these privatized lives with the devil's lane in between. And when there's something that is obviously painful between us, we won't talk about it. When there's some sort of uneasiness about us, we won't talk about it because only the devil walks there and he's trying to keep us apart. We do the same thing for our own lives. We won't face the painful memories we have or the, or the painful temptations that continue to come up in our lives. No, we, we just want to live in this happy part. And the devil says, well, you can live in that happy part. You don't need to cross over here to this other thing. So we hide from ourselves even those, though those areas still continue to affect our lives and can still bring us down. Why do you think it was, those of you who know Scripture, why do you think it was that David, who loved God, David had a heart after God. How could it be that David could listen to the story of Nathan, who was telling him an obvious parable about his relationship with Bathsheba, who came to David with this story that only had a thin layer of disguise on it, and says, let me tell you about this guy who had hundreds of sheep, but yet when he wanted a sheep, he went and took his neighbor's only little lamb, that little lamb his neighbor loved. And David's sitting there going, no kidding? I can't believe that. And he says, he looks at Nathan and he goes, that guy deserves to die. And Nathan looks at him and says, you're the guy. And only then does David go, he recognizes it. Now, if David was aware at all of those, those parts of his life, wouldn't, have he, wouldn't he have been just absolutely sweating bullets through that whole story? I mean, when you, somebody's telling a story about you and you know it's about you, or it, or it reminds you of something in your life, doesn't it make you uneasy? 
It just passed over David's head until until Nathan came to the punchline. Why? Because he has successfully hidden that part of his life. He wouldn't deal with it because it was too tough to deal with. The point is that hidden or not, those things can bring you down. Those things are the things that, although they become normal in your life, still have dangerous potential. We can't regularize, normalize living separately. That is God's definition of hell. And if we normalize living separately, both from ourselves and from each other and from God, we're living in hell. Spurgeon once said, as a matter of fact, he said, you know, he had a class, he, he taught preachers, he was a great preacher. He taught preachers and he said, you know, guys, I'll tell you what, when you talk about God and his grace you make sure your face is lit up with the light and the glory of God's love. He said, when you talk about hell, your ordinary faces will do. <laughs> well, when we talk about hell, our ordinary lives will do. Because that has become normalized, that cut offness, that devil's lane in our lives. The wonder of all of this is that we trivialize or we minimize those little pockets of secrets that we have to the point that we don't think that they're really going to affect our lives. But those are the very things, if we disregard them, that will bring us down. Some of you who know me know that uh, my middle son wrestles and we went to the state wrestling tournament this weekend. Isaac had a good, a good uh, chance of going far in that tournament. He had, he had won his reason, region. Uh, and uh, got a bracket uh, and, uh, you know, was really looking forward to it. And uh, the first guy in his bracket, he just knew he could beat. You know, he had seen him wrestle. He got fourth in his region. And, and uh, so Isaac just said, well, you know, the first guy I can, I can take, but the second guy's really going to be tough. I've got to get psyched up for the second guy. And so he went into the first match almost yawning. And uh, he said, Dad, even as, I, even as I got my first takedown, got my first points, I was thinking about the second match. Well, you know exactly what happened. He got beat, got taken out from the first guy. Now, parenthetically, the guy who won state, came in first in the state in his weight class, is a guy who Isaac had beaten previously this year. So it's not that Isaac didn't have the ability, it's that Isaac didn't have the regard for the opponent that was in front of him. It was a wonderful lesson for him. It was an even better lesson for me because as I walked out of that place, God was saying, Hunter... There are areas of your life you think you got handled. You better face them because they can take you down just like that. It's not that we don't have the ability. We are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. The, God, the Bible says that. It says where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. We've got the ability. Our problem is we don't have the regard. We think we don't have to face the stuff, that we can escape it, that we can hide all this stuff all our lives. You know why we hide it, by the way? Because Satan has done another bait and switch. You know, when Satan increases our shame is when we're trying to get out of sin. On the way into sin, he tries to minimize. He says, no big deal. Come on, for crying out loud. Let's have a little perspective about this whole thing. And then you get into it, and what's he say? Don't you tell anybody about this. You ought to be ashamed. This is awful. People will look down on you. He never said that stuff going into it. He said that stuff only as you turn to go out of it. Now, here is the great thing. 
If you're a Christian, if you're not, I'll give you a chance in a minute to become one. But if you're a Christian, you're at your lowest point right now. Things only get better from here. You know that any effort is met with God's grace and God's strength. You know that any repentance is met with victory and forgiveness and love. You know that. One day Socrates was walking past a house of prostitution. And he saw a student of his coming out of the place. And he looked back and the student saw him, noticed who he was, and the student went right back in. Socrates went back, went into the house of prostitution and looked his student straight in the eye. And this is what he said. My son, it is not a disgrace to come out of a place like this. It is only a disgrace to go into a place like this. Could you hear that same thing about your sin? It's no disgrace to come out. It's no disgrace to come out. It's a wonderful thing to come out. And you're greeted by God's love and care and fellowship. You know, uh, one more story. I heard a story about a little kid one time. I love this story. Who was so close to his grandmother. The reason I love it is because I was close to my grandparents. They practically raised me, and I just uh, I loved them so much. I loved to spend time with them. Loved just to be around them. And so this kid uh, went out to visit his grandparents on their farm, and he had just gotten a new bow and arrow. Now, this wasn't the arrows with the little suckers on the end. This was the deal. You know, this was the deal. Remember those, remember those, uh, the, the, the uh, fiberglass bows and the... And the uh, the arrows with the little metal points, not not the jagged kind, but the, just the little metal tips. And so he got some of those, you know, and he was out and he was shooting all around. Boy, just having a ball. And, well, his grandmother had this flock of ducks that just kind of hung around the pond, you know, and she loved those ducks. Go out to feed those ducks every day. Well, he hadn't hit anything all day, but he decided he'd just see what would happen if he shot an arrow into those ducks and see how they'd scatter. And so he drew back and he shot the arrow right at this duck that his grandmother loved and right through the heart. Duck died like that. Kid's there looking at a dead duck. (laughs) Thinking the same thing about himself. (laughs) He's absolutely panicked. He runs out and digs a hole as fast as he can. Puts a duck in it. Covers the the thing. Stumps the thing. And then walks around the rest of the day trying to avoid his grandmother. Goes in the house, she comes in one room, she, he goes in another room. She comes in that room, he goes in another room. Finally, at the end of the day, he is so miserable. Absolutely miserable. He can't stand it any longer. Goes into his grandmother and said, Grandma, you're going to hate me for this. But I, today, shot and killed your duck. And the grandmother looked at him and said, Honey, I was watching you out of the window when you did that. (laughs) She said, I forgave you the instant you did it. I just wondered how long you'd stay away from me. God's saying the same thing to us. These little areas that we may not want him to deal with, but that keep us away from a full relationship with him and keep us hurting, 
and alone and ashamed and sad. God's saying, how long are you going to let this go on? We're going to have a little prayer time in, in just a moment, but when I was talking about the subject of this message uh, to Eleanor, Eleanor just kind of came up with a song that says these words, and so I'd like her to come out and, and sing us that song just as kind of a lead into our prayer time.
You know, as I introduce this prayer time, and this is how we'd like to do this, we'd like for you to feel free to come forward and do business with God. I, I came from a background where kneeling in the altar was, was important. And sometimes when I need to do some serious business with God, like today, I just need to kneel down there. So I'll invite you to come forward uh, and join me at the altar if that's something that would help you. Or you can stay in your seats and deal with God. Uh, But as I introduce this prayer time through this prayer that I'm about to pray, I just ask you to invite the Holy Spirit to come in your heart and to point out to you any area that you've been avoiding that you really need to deal with for your sake and for the sake of your relationship with God. Pray with me. God, we, uh, we realize these leaves are silly. It's not like you can't see through them. And so, Father, we just pray that you will come and bring us to yourself today. God, even as I pray this, I pray that those in this sanctuary who do not have a personal relationship with you yet would make that decision today. They've been running for a long time and they've known it. But today is their day to say, God, I'm one of those company that isn't good enough. I know I'm unworthy, but I thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ who paid for all my sins. Today I accept that gift, that salvation. Come into my heart. And Father, those of us who already have you living in our hearts, today let us give you access to every part of our lives. As you remind us with your Holy Spirit, those areas that still stay secretive and because of their secrecy have the power to take us down. Those areas that we disregard and because of our disregard have the power to ruin both us and our relationships. Father, as we give those areas to you right now, give us a sense of release and satisfaction that you will handle those areas and that you love us and that you will help us be more intimate from now on. Listen to us now as we pray.
of you who are still praying, continue to pray and pray as long as the Spirit leads. Those of you who are finished, pray with me. Father, as we leave these leaves behind, clothe us with your great righteousness, with the simplicity and the love of your Son, and help us to know the forgiveness and grace in order that we might love each other and have the relationships that you are building among us. Help us to wipe out the devil's lane, to clean it out and to break down the fences as you lead. And we will thank you and give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The service is ended. Go in peace. Thank you.